Welcome to Left Foot. We invite fresh conversation on business development. Now here's your host, Nicole Giantonio. Hello, listeners. It's Nicole Giantonio, the founder of Left Foot, and I'm here to announce that our 12 audio-based business development challenges are now available. 12 practical, execution-oriented steps to predictable success. Part of the Left Foot GPS growth practice solutions for business development. Go to leftfoot.com GPS for details. Hello, listeners, and welcome to Left Foot. Today's guest is a nationally recognized leader in the field of intellectual property litigation, having successfully litigated and tried numerous high-profile cases, including having argued before the U.S. Supreme Court. She leads her firm's copyright, trademark, internet, and advertising practice group, Kirkland partner, Dale Sendali. Welcome to Left Foot. Hi, Nicole. I'm happy to be here. Great to have you as a guest on our program, Dale. Let's go right into our questions. Which of your personal strengths or habits have allowed you to be successful developing your practice? I think there are three main ones. One is I picked a field that I actually love. I think it's hard to be successful if you don't love the field you're in, given the amount of effort that goes into being successful in virtually any field. Second, I work hard. I think clients demand that, and nowadays it's essential. And third, I think it's very important for lawyers to be seen as commercial, as problem solvers for the business world. When clients say that someone is a very commercial lawyer, that's a real compliment. They're less interested in esoteric theories of the law and more interested in how you can cheaply and quickly solve their problem. You picked a field that you love. Did you know that at the beginning or did you try a few different things and then really said, you know, I enjoyed this type of work? Yeah, I had always been interested in law from kind of high school era when I originally wanted to be a teacher. And my mom pointed out to me that in her day, it was very hard for women to go to law school, but that now there were sufficient advances that it was more of a possibility. And the way I love to read and argue and write, it seemed a good field. So that really inspired me. But in terms of the field of law, when I was an undergrad, I was president of the Yale Dramatic Association. So I always had a strong interest in the arts. So intellectual property, especially the kind of copyright, trademark, right of publicity, that type of work that I do, false advertising, lends itself to that field. So I became attracted to the field as a way of being involved with helping artists and artists' rights and how they're protected. There's so much to be gained for helping artists protect their work. There's also lots of debate as to what's an artist, because one of my um, well-known cases was representing the Associated Press opposite Shepard Ferry in the Obama Hope poster case. And one of the points I always made is that that case was about two artists, the AP's photographer, who made a wonderful, charismatic, patriotic photograph. And the second artist, Shepard Ferry, and should only one of those artists receive compensation? Should they both receive compensation? Should they both receive credit? Those are some of the things that we deal with, for example, in fair use law, and I find very interesting. I'm so glad you talked about the commercial side of being a lawyer and and being a lawyer with a commercial perspective. When we interview general counsel and in-house counsel legal operations professionals, 
from all types of companies, we hear that as the thing that they look for in their outside legal partners, someone that understands that they are under the constraints of the business, both from a budget perspective and from a timeline perspective. And I think that's what we hear more is a lot of times they say, I don't, it's not really about the cost. It's about, I need an answer so that we can execute on those business decisions. Do you have lawyers ask you about your ability to do that? And is there any advice you would give those lawyers that aren't quite sure if they're being as commercial as they should be? One thing is to realize that the reason you're being asked your advice is to actually render advice. So I was just at a pitch last week with a major company that was looking for a new counsel in part because their previous counsel never actually gave them advice. They said, well, on the one hand, you could do this. On the other hand, you could do that. And they wanted to know, well, what's, what's the best hand to use? And sometimes, I mean, that's what you need to tell them. I mean, I, I tell clients, they may not always like my advice. I'm not a yes person. I'm not going to tell them what they want to hear necessarily unless the facts mandate it. But I will tell them what I think the strategy should be, what the plan should be, and give them something to work on commercially from there. You know, that's an interesting point. And you're right. That's why they're coming to you. That's why they're coming and looking for that expertise or coming to that lawyer. Great point. So stepping back, of course, you work for a major firm, and I'm sure you have business responsibilities to the firm and that they are asking you whether at the beginning of a fiscal year, whether that's calendar or not, they're asking you for your plan for the year, what the business is going to look like, how your practice is either going to maintain the business that you have or grow it. Do you employ a growth strategy? Is that something that you sit down and create and then refer to as the year goes on? Do you have a growth strategy? Not if that's what you mean by growth strategy. I mean, Kirkland is Knockwood, a very successful firm, but it doesn't micromanage its partners. You don't have to do a, a formal plan every year or anything like that. But what you do need to do is to manage your own business and try to make sure that you're continuing, just like any lawyer, bringing in new business, staying current, being important to your clients. So for me, there's always new cases in a given year plus older cases that are resolved in the course year. There's a mix of an old, new, and some stuff in between. So a lot of it is to constantly be aware. It's not good practice to wait to the end of a major case and then start looking around for something else to do. Rather, it's important to always be accessible to clients when it might just be you know, quick phone calls that they may really need help on in the midst of a preliminary injunction with another client, you may just need to give simple advice to somebody else, but you need to keep those plates in the air so that you are accessible and helpful to your clients so that you're there when you're needed. But it's not like I have a formal plan. As we talk to so many lawyers from different firms, a lot of the top 100 or AM 100, it's amazing because a lot of them don't. And they say, but there's an expectation, which is terrific. Let's talk about that plate spinning. Are there specific things that you do either on a daily, weekly, monthly cycle that help you keep those plates spinning so it doesn't become something that you know gets dropped along the way because, of course, you're working on client cases, et cetera? Are there specific things you do, either reminders you set yourself to make sure that that communication continues? Well, I do different things at different times, but I try in general to do things as simple as Google alerts on clients 
paying attention to if there's something important in their industry that's happened, if a new case comes down that I think is particularly important. I try to continue to be helpful to them and say, hey, just so you know, the following. And that's important. If I had more time, I would probably, and I think I did this earlier in my career, I would do little to-do lists and I would say, okay, well, this week I'll make three phone calls and next week I'm or next month I'm going to do the following and this quarter I'll do the following. So at different points, I'll try to have both very short-term tactical and longer-term objectives. And I once attended probably something similar to this podcast where someone once gave the advice of try to make that call that you most loathe making first in the morning, because at least then you've accomplished it. It's not always easy to pick up a phone and call someone you haven't spoken to in a while, but sometimes doing it and getting it out of the way with is a better strategy than having the trials of the day overwhelm you and it becomes you know constantly pushed to another day. No, absolutely. And I, I find that sometimes when I'm executing something, it's better than having the angst about executing it, right? You might as well just get it out of the way to your point and really move on from there. Is there a success story where you were able to earn a client's business that either was surprising to you or when you look back was, was pretty significant? Sure. I guess I have two answers to this. One is, let, let me just start with in the beginning about how I went about establishing my practice and how I initially approached business development and then relate that to a specific success story. And this is important because when I started practicing, which wasn't that long ago, but the age of specialization was not so much upon us. You know, general litigators didn't like to say that they were anything other than general litigators, saying that you were a specialist was somehow to be lesser. And intellectual property was not yet seen as valuable as it is now. This was you know, before the internet, which has not actually been around forever, as my kids would think, or the real rise of Silicon Valley. But as time has gone on, more and more of Americans' economy is based on intellectual property. So when I started out at a big firm, it really didn't do very much in intellectual property, but I was very keen on doing it. I didn't have a mentor in intellectual property. And I didn't have any training. I just had enthusiasm. Well, enthusiasm alone is not going to get you clients, nor should it. But what I did do was I realized I needed to develop expertise. And the way I did that is I followed the law closely. I wrote many, many articles, short articles, longer articles. I gave speeches to anyone who would let me give a speech anywhere on any topic. And over time, I both developed expertise, but I also developed an awareness that I had in the community that I had that expertise. And that led to both the firm staffing me on any IP cases that came in. And then over time, clients calling me and seeking me out or inviting me to pitches because I did have that expertise. So what I try to tell folks is you need to have something to sell to offer people before you can be successful at being hired. If you don't have something to sell, you're not going to be successful. But once you have that something to sell, someone other than you needs to be aware of it. You can't just be this amazing lawyer sitting in your office. You have to do things so the world outside your office knows about it. And both of those things are what I employed early on so that I would be in the position that, you know, the phone started to ring or where if I chose to call a client, they'd be more apt to to take the call and hear what I had to say. 
But in terms of success stories, we sweeps week of this television program and I told them they could use some highly interesting video. And then, of course, somebody then filed a lawsuit trying to enjoin that video. And I got a call on a Friday night in New York saying, what plane will you be on later this evening to come to California to defend the TRO Monday morning in California court to make sure that we can air this very important stuff? And I had never spoken to the GC of that company before. I had just dealt with their people on the East Coast. And so it really was a trial by fire. And had it gone badly, I think that would have been a short-lived career with that client. But fortunately, we defeated the TRO. There were cameras in the courtroom, so there was a lot of attention with it. And the client liked what she saw, that it led to lots more work. And I think also when you've done one high-profile matter, that tends to give you some credibility that you're more apt to get the next high-profile matter. So what's the moral of the story? The moral of the story is you never know. Something that seemed like it was pretty modest clearance advice ended up becoming a major litigation, which ended up leading to lots of other litigation for that client, which led to litigation for a lot of other clients, which led for litigation to a lot of other clients. So you really don't know the full consequences of everything that you do. But if you do them well and do them long enough, hopefully some of those synergies will develop and you'll end up with a very busy practice. Strong point. You don't know if it's going to be the moment, the matter that will make that difference. And now a word from our sponsor, Nicole here, and a shout out and thank you for tuning into the Left Foot Podcast. Are you looking to energize your business development efforts? Our 12 Left Foot Business Development Challenges will energize your efforts in three areas. Business Development Grit, tactical habits that lead to business development success, including networking, nailing your niche, how to focus and develop an expert reputation, commercial savoir-faire, a discussion on business and the revenue side of law. At Left Foot, we believe 20% of people are natural at business development, 10% say no to business development, and 70% are neutral and can adopt the skills necessary when presented in an organized, methodical way. To learn more and be challenged, go to the GPS page at leftfoot.com. The point you made earlier about establishing an expertise and having something to sell, that's critical. And we do talk a lot about niching on our program, finding that niche. You want to pick a niche you enjoy and one that you have interest in and are curious about. And then once you have an expertise, being able to have success in that expertise and then become recognized when you're being contacted by the unaffiliated. When the unaffiliated, someone you don't know or doesn't know someone you know, starts to contact you, you know you've established that expertise. To your point, you can build an entire practice from it, of course, if you're doing good work. Our next question really talks about some of the changes that occurred in the industry. And I mean, the industry generally, the legal industry, we have the influx of technology. We have a lot of focus on efficiency. We have extensive discussions around project management and AFAs. In your business, how has changing market conditions affected the way you either acquire clients, service your current clients, or the way that you do your business because of attention to those changing market conditions? 
for one thing, you always have to be alert and aware of what those market conditions might be and whether, in fact, they have changed. To me, there's three main changing market conditions or change market conditions that are relevant. One, there's, an, I think, an overall awareness that there's more competition. Second, there is less institutional loyalty, I think, that many clients have to particular law firms. In other words, I think many clients will seek out the best lawyer for a project and not necessarily the firm that should be one size fits all. In other words, because the focus is less on just hiring the usual suspect law firm than on the particular lawyer at a firm, it's all the more important that you be able to present yourself as a good person to be hired. And then third, I think that there's, this is absolutely the age is similar to what you were saying of expertise. I'm sure opportunities where a generalist approach can create a a creative and interesting solution to something. But generally speaking, clients tend to say, you know, I want to know what your track record is. I don't want someone performing brain surgery, my case, for the first time. So I think when you're aware that those are some of the concerns that the clients have, the more it makes you realize that you shouldn't be complacent because there is competition. You need to mentor youngsters to help. When I say youngsters, I mean anyone younger than you to help with the competitive pressures because it's very hard for people to be successful if they're a one-man band. Plus, it's not fun and it doesn't create opportunities. Third is you do have to continue to develop your own presence in the field and your own expertise and be able to answer those questions that clients you know, ask about what your track record is if you're going to be successful at pitches. Having that track record, being able to talk about it. Great point. In your world, in your day-to-day, are there certain innovations that have made a significant difference in how you're practicing today versus, say, 10 years ago? I think that the accessibility of people through electronic means has really changed dramatically the overall practice of law and the days that you could put something in FedEx and go home and figure that your work is done till the other side gets it the next day and then sends you a fax are long over. When it comes to client relations, a lot of very old school personal touch is still extremely important. You know, are you a nice person the clients enjoy working with who gets them results? Just being nice if you don't win them case is not a long-term solution, but they can pick anyone they want to work with and you need to be effective. Again, you have to be commercial. You have to solve their problem. You have to win. But can you do that in a way that makes it also a fun conversation, that you're not a jerk? that you're the opposite of a jerk, that you showcase other people on the team who are also always accessible, that they also enjoy working with. You know, there's a lot of business development that's new, but there's a lot of it that's very old. And that is people working with people and being able to be seen and actually be a trusted, friendly, knowledgeable advisor. You know, that is a terrific point. We've interviewed a lot of folks and in-house counsel, legal operations professionals, a number of general counsel. And we do hear that more than many other things is that they want to work with people that are competent, of course, and have had success, but do they like working with them? Are there people that they can communicate well with? Are there people that they can 
be productive with. And, you know, a lot of that then goes to is the lawyer, the outside lawyer, someone I want to spend time with, right? Because I'm going to be spending a lot of time and my team is. And to your point, is the team behind them well operating? There's a lot to be said for that. It's a great lead into our next question. We interviewed four women associates at Goodwin. And one of the women said that she said, I want to add that personal touch. I think that's part of how people pick up the phone and call me or why they pick up the phone and call me. And I think there's so much to be said there. So leading into advice for those professionals just starting out, what advice would you give to those just taking on business development responsibilities? Apropos of the earlier point I made about developing expertise and letting people know you have it, one of the best things I think a young lawyer can do is getting involved in bar association work. You should pick a bar group and sometimes you may have to try out sort of a couple at the same time until you see which one has more opportunity. And frequently there may be somebody at your firm that already has a connection with that group and they can put in a good word for you. You don't want to just sign on and pay a fee and be a member and never do anything. You want to be involved in some form of bar group that gives you a chance to actually be seen by people, to participate on calls, to go to meetings, to possibly be a speaker someday, to maybe write something. And there's so many different bar groups that can do that. The ABA IP section has a tremendous number of opportunities for young lawyers to very quickly get leadership responsibility. People may not believe that that's true, but it is actually true. It's just you have to join and request it. The ABA litigation section has an IP group, among many others that are similar to that. New York City has the City Bar Association, INTA, the International Trademark Association has things. There's the New York State Bar Association. There's the Copyright Society. There's virtually every place in the city has some form of local bar group related to a niche area. And then there could also be affinity bar groups as well. But if you get involved in these things, other people know you. You'll also be perhaps writing articles or giving speeches or being involved in panels. You'll learn things. And you'll also be seen within your firm as a go-getter who is early on trying to be involved. For example, if I have a young lawyer and they come to me, frequently I'll go to them, but if they come to me and say, I know you're involved in the bar, I'm interested in that too. Can I help you with anything? Not only does that incentivize me to, to help mentor them and give them advice and get them involved, but it also makes me think, wow, this is a really great go-getting kind of person that is thinking about their career long-term. So you can improve your standing within the firm and also improve your standing within the profession if you get involved at an early age in some of these activities. And I think once you build them into your practice, it starts becoming part of your daily life. It's not as onerous to add a bar committee work five years in if you've always been doing something as a younger lawyer. You know, that is great advice. We talk about that because there is this idea that I can join something, but you have to go. And, you know, the first step is going, the second step is getting involved because just participating, although you'll end up, you know, recognizing people that are also going and participating regularly, but getting involved is a whole nother level. And it creates that almost 
need to be there, be physically there to respond to inquiries. So great advice. Absolutely agree. It's something we do teach in our program here at Left Foot that that is required, right? You have to be engaged. And and I love the point, Dale, about once you start, it'll become just a natural part of, you know, it's like developing a habit, right? It'll become something you enjoy doing. You see the benefits of it and you'll be able to make the time and continue to make the time going forward. And we know that firms and of course, partners like yourself support that. Any last points you'd like to share before we say goodbye? I guess the only thing I wanted to add is that, you know, I've been to various forms of business development lectures and advice and people always give you useful things to say, but it can be daunting to actually do them all. It can almost be discouraging. How am I going to do all that? And what I always like to tell people is a career, which is part of business development, you know, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Don't beat yourself up if this 10 seconds you haven't been able to do as much as you would like. Just have a slightly longer term view, make some good steps in that direction. And little by little over time, you will have periods where you're able to do more and periods where you're able to do less and periods where you'll be more successful, periods where you'll have less success professionally. But don't drive yourself crazy if you don't have it all by whatever age you believe that you should, because it sometimes can take a long time. And the main thing is to be moving in the right direction. Terrific last point, Dale. Thank you. It's been a pleasure having you as a guest on Left Foot. It's been a pleasure talking to you, Nicole. Left Foot is clearly doing very cool things, and I'm very happy to be a part of it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Left Foot. For information on our podcast, our 12-session business development challenge, and our online business development coursework, visit leftfoot.com. It takes focus and thought to lead with the left foot. Until next time. Thank you.